Welcome to the Center in the City podcast. I'm your host, Wade Brill, and during this series, I'll be interviewing various thought leaders, wellness experts, and humans on how they practice sustainable self-care and mindfulness. We'll get real and raw, talk about the light and the shadow side of self-care and mindfulness, and how we can actually stay centered amid the chaos and the hustle and bustle of our modern day world. So settle in and get centered. This podcast episode is brought to you by Centered in the City, a virtual on-demand self-care and mindfulness platform with over a hundred different meditations, journaling prompts, nourishing recipes, and Pilates flows, all designed to support you feeling calm, focused, and energized as you live your life in this modern day world. For more information, head on over to centeredinthecity.org and claim your seven-day free trial. Notice how much better you will feel by having a consistent practice to support you staying centered. I am so excited to have Dr. Christina Tennyson on the Centered in the City podcast today. Dr. Tennyson is a board-certified gastroenterologist with an expertise in nutrition, lifestyle, medicine, and integrative medicine. She is passionate about empowering people to improve their digestive health. Dr. Tennyson received her medical degree from New York University School of Medicine and completed her residency in internal medicine at the Hospital of University of Pennsylvania. She also completed her fellowship in gastroenterology at Mount Sinai School of Medicine here in New York City. And she was also a member, a faculty member at Columbia University. She has so many other degrees and backgrounds and specialties that I will share in the show notes, but I'm really excited to have Christina on because she's going to talk to us about the importance of our brain connected to our gut and our emotional health and well-being and our relationship to food and nutrition and how we can be part of our own healing journey and not just a passenger. So settle in to this episode and enjoy. Christina, welcome to the Centered in the City podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'd like to begin by asking, what does being centered mean to you? So I think for me, it's been a work in progress over the past several years because I've thought about it a lot and my priorities have changed over the years as I have a family, got married, kind of had a change in my professional goals. So I think for me, being centered is really thinking about my personal life, my professional life, and then also being part of the community that I live in. So using some of my talents um, effectively for all of those things and being around people I love and care about. I love how you emphasize taking stock of your priorities and how your priorities shift depending on what stage of life you are in, because that's so important for, because what might keep us centered when we're in our twenties might be really different than when we're in our thirties, when we're in our forties, when we're fifties. So to constantly be evaluating what are our priorities in life and how do we kind of balance it all, I think is a really beautiful exploration of this question. Yeah. And it's not, it's not so easy, right? It is not easy, (laughs) right? You need time to kind of think about it. And I feel like so much in like the hustle and bustle, 
you know, sometimes you need a little time and space to reflect. And I think it, I learned over the years that I really needed to give myself that and that it's okay. Yes. Oh my God. Can we like asterisk that, right? Because we do need time and space to gain perspective of our life. And most of us don't take that time or space, whether we think it's not productive or we're not worthy of taking the time or space, or we want to fill it with other things that we think are more important, or we're getting sucked up by like other noises that just distract us, right? I think you're so right that it is important. It is necessary for us to take time and space. And I I think it's something too, a lot of people, um, just to piggyback on that in medicine, particularly, I can speak on that is that, you know, from when you're very young for most of us, you know, this is your goal and you have it and you're kind of working towards it. And you think that's what, you know, that's your vision of success or achievement. And then you realize when you get there, Hey, maybe things have changed. (laughs) And, um, and then you still have all these external pressures and kind of other people telling you what what, what you should be doing. So really you like, like you said, just figuring it out for yourself is so important. Mm, right. Cause you join the medicine track so early on and then it's a long track to stay, Definitely. stay yeah. focused on. Yes. Yeah. So like what, what, what advice would you maybe offer some doctors or say even nurses who are in training right now on their journey? Yeah. And I think it's so applicable to anybody. I would say that to, you know, any profession lawyers or, you know, any, your architecture school, I think it's just staying curious, you know, and finding things that kind of light you up and, and things that keep you interested. And sometimes those things may be more on the fringe of kind of, you know, what's going on currently in your field, but just giving yourself time to explore and, you know, not being afraid to make mistakes, um, you know, and, and embarrass yourself as this, uh, as I am doing one of my first podcasts with you. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's just getting a little bit outside of your comfort zones. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, emphasizing the curiosity, like, oh, let's stay curious of what does light me up because what maybe lit, lit me up a few years ago is not what lights me up right now. Yeah. And just trying, right. And just trying to find even a little bit of time you know, most of us, our jobs, you know, that we're doing, you know, may, we may not be doing what we love a hundred percent of the time, but just finding some time to kind of pursue your interests and kind of inject it into your, you know, day-to-day, I think has really helped me too a lot over the years. Yeah. So like before we hit record, you were sharing a little bit more about your career in as a researcher and more in academia with medicine and then how you've kind of pivoted a little bit more to this focus around integrative medicine and digestive health. Will you tell our listeners a little bit more about your journey and what you're really passionate about working on right now? Yeah. So, so my journey, I think started a long time ago because I always loved science and I loved kind of the application of science to kind of help people um, improve their lives. And that's kind of what got me into it. You know, when I look back on my, you know, essays, even, you know, for college or med school. So it, it was so nice to like recently reflect on that when I found it in a, in a drawer somewhere. And I think, um, you know, I, I always loved the digestive organs in a way, cause I love nutrition. So I was always fascinated even in high school, um, I have a lot of chronic diseases in my family, like many of us do. So I have a really strong family history of diabetes. Both my parents have it. My grandmother was on dialysis because of diabetes. Um, So I think I always had that as an interest in my personal life. And um, what got me interested in gastroenterology was that um, it involved digestion and nutrition 
and also um, meeting new people, dealing with emergencies. Um, so that's kind of what drew me into the field. And over time, I realized that what I was practicing may have been a little bit different um, because I was trying to really spend the time to talk to my patients and, you know, ask them what they're eating, talk about their lifestyle, you know, not necessarily here's a pill or let's do a procedure and, and I'll see you. And then um, I realized kind of the system I was practicing in doesn't really focus on that. So I had a bit of frustration, I think, over the years. I love teaching and I loved interacting with my patients, but I just felt like the system I was working in wasn't um, wasn't wasn't going 100% for me what I wanted to be doing. So like I said, I took a little bit of time and space. Um, and in 2017, I left my really successful practice that I had worked on and built up. Um, I had worked in academics for about five years before that, doing clinical research and teaching. And then I worked in a community practice in New York City um, where I loved the patients, I loved my coworkers, but just something wasn't clicking. And um, I did a little bit of exploration and I did some training in integrative medicine lifestyle medicine, also culinary coaching, and kind of focused on um, incorporating those things. And then I also did some work um, in other places of the country. So kind of stepping outside the New York City or Northeast academic bubble. And I worked in mid-coast uh, rural area in Maine, worked in Indiana and worked down in Mississippi. And I think it gave me a good perspective on things. Oh, so. sure. A lot of different cultures, a lot of different nutrition beliefs and lifestyles to support people with, um, with, with that history. Yeah. And then the same thing, we're so much more similar than we're different, mm. you know, and I think that kind of really like reverberated with me that, you know, being in like an inner city, you know, Brooklyn neighborhood still had a lot of people with similar problems to working in rural Indiana. Mm. So it was, um, I think it was really uh, kind of added to my medical experience because I'd really worked at these kind of tertiary, you know, referral centers and then really working out in the community was, um, gave me a different perspective. What common themes would you see with patients in their digestive health? I think um, a lot of people are struggling with um, anxiety issues, mm -hmm. um, trying to figure out, you know, what foods are good to eat. There's a lot of conflicting information out there, just trying to kind of make sense of it. And also, you know, getting food that's affordable, that's healthy to feed themselves and their family. And I think those are kind of the main issues that I, I see a lot of people struggling with. And, and there's also so much messaging out there, whether it's Instagram or, you know, social media and saying, this is what's healthy. This is what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And um, there's so many different ways to kind of look at nutrition that I feel like focusing on the, the positive rather than, you know, all this kind of negative messaging, I think is helpful. Mm -hmm. I want to circle back to that point. Cause that's, that's a big one, but before we do talking about anxiety, because a lot of my clients experience anxiety. And I think all of us do on yeah. you know, certain spectrums. And a lot of them have stomach issues, whether it's IBS and they're diagnosed or whether they just get um, these stomach aches or uh, they notice their stomach hurts when they feel anxious or, you know, a lot of the emotion gets tied up into the stomach area and the digestive tract. And I'm just curious if you could give us a little bit of scientific backstory of maybe what's happening in the body that it's manifesting in this way of, of pain or irritability. Right. So, so it's so interesting. And I think even as a medical doctor and even during my gastroenterology training, uh, where we're focusing on the digestive organs, I honestly don't think we learned enough about this or mm -hmm. kind of appreciated how complex it is. 
But in general, you know, the gut is really your second brain, right? So it's innervated. Um, there are many nerves that line your digestive tract and you actually produce more neurotransmitters in your digestive tract. So things like serotonin, the majority of it is actually produced within the gut. And there's a constant crosstalk and communication between your brain and your gut. So it's kind of like a two lane highway, if you think about it, that your gut is sending messages to your brain and your brain is also sending messages to your gut. So these things are um, really tied together. And I think we're finally starting to appreciate um, some of this that um, it's even more complex that the, the microbes that actually live within our gut. So it's called the microbiota is this kind of general term for all of these organisms, they also play a part. So they're actually helping us digest our food. They're involved in kind of some of the formation of these compounds that kind of um, are, are in this crosstalk between our brain and our gut. So everything is all tied together. And, yeah. and even patients who have irritable bowel syndrome, it's been shown that um, gut-directed hypnotherapy is actually very helpful and useful. Um, there's also things like cognitive behavioral therapy that can be used too. So we know that this is important and uh, we're only kind of finally, you know, getting people to realize it. We have to kind of, you know, get, get, get more of the expertise out there. So people across the country, particularly in more rural areas, get access to this. Mm. Yeah. What is, I've never heard of cognitive, or excuse me, not cognitive behavioral therapy. I've definitely heard of that. I've never heard of hypnotherapy for- yes. So there, there's a whole uh, separate area. It's called gastropsychology. So these are psychologists who are trained um, in matters of the gut. And a lot of them are focused in, in some of the academic centers, um, such as like New York, Michigan, Boston. Um, but this has been proven to help. Um, so it's kind of um, getting people used to kind of some of the messages that we're getting from our gut and kind of tying it into, um, you know, feelings of anxiety and, and, and learning to know, you know, what are these feelings that, that we're experiencing and knowing that they're okay and they're normal. It's not for everybody, um, but there are definitely a subset of patients that really benefit from it. Mm, amazing. I love that that field is developing because I'm a strong believer without even having a science background, but of really knowing how connected our mind and our body are. And the more that we can sense into the wisdom of our body and ourselves, the more we can be part of our healing journey. You know, that was something that I really connected to when I was going through chemo was realizing like, oh, I can't just let the chemo do all the work here. Like I have right. to talk to my cells. I have to feed myself nutrients. I get to be part of the solution here. And my meditation practice was a huge peace in me learning to listen to my body so that I could help along the journey. Because if I just used my head, I would just be taking random facts that I was reading or hearing from people versus actually listening to the wisdom of my own body. Right. Um, it's so, and it's empowering. It's I, I so think empowering. Too, because you get to participate, right? And, and you're, you play the most important part, uh, you know, and I think when, when people approach their healthcare, they have physicians, but they have you know, a, a whole team, including themselves, <laughs> which I think, yes. you know, I think someone had said in one of your earlier podcasts, and it's something that resonates with me. And I always tell patients too, is that, you know, your body better than anyone else. So, mm -hmm. you know, a doctor meeting you for 20 minutes or 30 minutes, you know, we, we can offer advice and expertise, but, but really some of it, you have to work out together. Right. 
and like, you know, when something feels off or Mm -hmm. maybe different. And, and sometimes I think, I know for me, I can be maybe too hypervigilant when I'm like, oh, this, you know, my stomach is off by, because I ate this little thing or I had some berry or, you know, and it's, you know, it's like, okay, also having some ease when things feel a little off and, and kind of trusting the body and and kind of that balance of not being so hypervigilant and sensitive, but also paying attention when we need to pay attention. And I love what you said of it. It puts us in the driver's seat. We're not a victim to our body or mm-hmm. to our health, but we are part of the solution and, and the team, like the most important person. Circling back to something you, you shared about, you know, eating and, and eating to help manage anxiety. Are there any specific foods that you recommend people explore to support their gut biome? Such a good topic. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really being worked out. Um, and it's something I, I definitely have a really active interest in, uh, and there's some ongoing research involved in it. What we know is that the majority of people um, don't eat enough fruits and vegetables. So we mm-hmm. know that over 80% of Americans fail to eat kind of current guidelines for fruits and vegetables. So that's a great simple way to start um, just incorporating more whole foods, uh, particularly plants um, into someone's diet. So there is, um, I think in general, um, you know, an anti-inflammatory or kind of Mediterranean style diet is probably a great thing to kind of incorporate for most of us. And you can tailor it to depending on what your um, dietary pattern is. So if people are vegetarian or they're vegan or they're omnivore, um, there's no one right way, I think that fits everyone. And I just want to stress that because I think sometimes we can get overwhelmed with all of these messages, you must do this, or you have to eat this. So I think overall looking at dietary patterns is important. What I uh, suggest people do is to incorporate nuts, seeds, fresh fruits and vegetables, whole grains, um, and then some other types of protein, depending on what your diet is, you can always add and take away. There are um, also interests in um, ingesting fermented food products. And there's a wide range of fermented food products that are available in all these interesting worldwide cuisines. And I feel like we're only really appreciating it. Um, But again, that's something that people can tailor and just start incorporating into their diet. So there are things like kefir, which is a fermented milk beverage. Um, There are plenty of other um, vegetables that can be fermented. So we'll talk about, you know, things like uh, soybeans, so people can have tempeh in their diet, even just small amounts of um, fermented vegetables. So things like sauerkraut. And there's some really new, I think just super exciting and kind of fascinating research that that um, can kind of increase the diversity Mm. uh, of the microbiome. So um, helping people kind of recultivate or or repopulate the the bacteria and microbes that are in our gut, um, as well as kind of decreasing some of these um, pro-inflammatory markers. So there was a a recent study out of Stanford um, that was done by a, a, a pretty well-known research team, and they looked at 18 volunteers and they, it's a small study, but it actually, over time, they uh, increased the diversity of their gut microbiome and they also reduced inflammation. So I think that's really exciting. Mm, Yeah, to have those markers. What about probiotics? Are those important for people to be taking? So I think, you know, that's a big question. And I think a lot of people have you know, uh, questions about probiotics. The most important thing to think about is the the gut 
microbes that live within you are really should be more of the priority and we have to feed them with food. So mm -hmm. I think it may seem easy to take a pill or to take a probiotic, but there are so many different types of probiotics that are out there and so many different types of strains of bacteria that for, um, you know, it's hard to say over overreaching for everybody take this probiotic. It really depends kind of what your end goal is. Um, probiotics are defined as these organisms that are living that have a beneficial effect um, when we take them. So there definitely are probiotics that are found in fermented foods naturally. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's a, a great easy way for people to kind of start incorporating um, fermented foods into their diet. Um, but I think, you know, you know, just picking up a random probiotic and taking it and expecting to, you know, see X, Y, and Z, I think is a little harder. It's more of a reach. And mm -hmm. I think, I think our feeling has really kind of changed over the past couple of years. Um, and there's more research going into it. Um, you know, it, it really kind of depends on industry funding, you know, what studies get done, you know, what probiotic strains are out there. So it's inherently more complicated, I think, than, uh, and we appreciate sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like what you said earlier about there's not one diet, right, that that kind of do what works for you, listen, listen to your body, I think is so important because the research is constantly changing, right, of what is the best. So if we constantly let the news dictate what is working, I think it kind of takes us out of listening to our body and our our wisdom and kind of that, the second brain of like, what, what do we actually get to feed it? And I, I love your emphasis on let's already feed the strains that are in our body with good food. I've been traveling the last few weeks and I am definitely not eating as much vegetables as I normally eat. I try to eat a lot of veggies and <clears throat> I can totally feel my system is out of whack. Mm -hmm. And it's just so interesting how just in, you know, two weeks, three weeks, you can, you can start to feel your body or I can feel my body, um, being off, off kilter because of, um, eating differently. Right. Yeah. And it's so important, especially with travel. It, it's something that I think so many people struggle with. Um, but just getting back to something you said that I think, although there's all this different information that comes out, what I find really helpful is kind of guidance from the blue zones, or these are the people, um, areas in the country where people live the longest and are healthy. So they have, mm. you know, not just a long lifespan where they're living, but more of that term health span. So they're actually living really productive, healthy lives. And it seems like the common trend is that, you know, they're eating um, foods that are high in fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. They are connected to their community. They're mm -hmm. getting regular exercise. Um, they manage their stress. So it's not just diet and diet's just one thing we can focus on, but it's this whole kind of lifestyle. Um, so I, I think we can learn a lot, you know, from, from looking at these areas. For sure. Cause health is holistic. So it's really to take that zone, zoom out and, and take all of those perspectives of how we manage our health in. I agree. It's so important because we can't just eat perfectly and yet be so stressed and think mm -hmm. that that's not going to affect our bodies or our right. minds. And, and just getting back to the microbiome again, we know that all of these things affect it. Um, so we know that, um, you know, if we don't get enough sleep, if we don't get enough regular exercise, if we have uh, too much stress hormones in our body, that also has a detrimental effect on a microbiome. So it's, um, it's interesting. And, and it seems that 
Overall, in Western-style cultures, this industrialized society, we're actually losing the diversity of our microbiome over mm -hmm. several generations. So, um, you know, we don't eat enough fiber. So fiber is the kind of the fuel, um, and that's found only in plant foods. So that really has to be a focus. Um, and, you know, and, and then, you know, there is some, like I said, very emerging literature that we can maybe recultivate it or repopulate it by having some fermented foods. Mm. If somebody was just, you know, speaking into your skill of being a culinary coach, you know, somebody was just getting started in the kitchen, because we know how much, um, how important it is to cook at home and get comfortable cooking versus constantly eating out or buying packaged food, how it has more nutrients in it. What would be one tip or suggestion of how somebody could easily get started in the kitchen if the kitchen feels really intimidating? Just getting out there and just cooking at home. Like you said, this is a really important take-home point. Even without trying to lose weight or doing anything, just by cooking at home, you're actually um, you know, improving your health. So people are eating more fruits and vegetables. People are um, involved in eating less calories. People tend to lose weight when they actually cook at home. Uh, so just cooking at home is an important thing. So, um, you know, things to start. So, you know, if you're in an area that has a meal delivery service, that may be an easy way to start that you can actually get the products delivered to you. Um, and then you can learn to cook one or two recipes a week, um, something that, that you like, and you'll see kind of what your family likes. And don't be afraid to, especially people with kids, don't be afraid to try new things. I think a lot of us get on replay um, that we buy the same groceries every week. We cook the same meals every week. Um, so I think just finding one to two meals um, that you uh, like, you know, and um, an important thing that I like to focus with people is try not to make the meat, um, you know, even if you do eat meat, just try not to make that the focus of your uh, meal. So try to, you know, try to make the plants, the fruits, the vegetables, um, more of the focus and you have the meat as a condiment and you'll hear people say this over and over. And I think that's, you know, really great approachable advice. I love that advice. And that was a piece of advice that I got was just make your plate as colorful as possible. And that is what inspired me to start to look for more veggies than the protein. And then I started loving veggies and getting so excited about them because you can do so many cool things with them. You can spiralize them and make them into kind of like a pasta. You can roast them. You can mash them. Once you start to get into the land of veggies, that really opened my eyes. And I felt like I was able to get so much more creative in the kitchen. Yeah, and definitely. And also like seeing what's out there, what's seasonal, what's local, you know, what's affordable, what's on sale at the grocery store and just trying to, uh, to adventure. And then kind of like 2.0, I think for people is like, every time you go to the grocery store, buy something new, just, just try it, you know, and, and see what you make and, you know, don't be upset and don't tie too much emotion, particularly if you have kids. I think that's important because, um, you know, it's been shown that you have to reintroduce foods many times before kids will kind of appreciate it. Um, so we have, um, I have three kids, um, you know, my husband and I both work, um, some days are better than others and it's okay, you know, just to be forgiving too, for yourself. It's okay. If you order out, you know, if it's okay, if you get pizza one night, um, you know, I think it's, you know, not having unrealistic expectations and, and sometimes meal prepping, I think is helpful also. Yes. And I love the emphasis of like, get the pizza, get the order out, get the Chinese food, whatever it is that makes you happy because this is you know, part of being centered is, is as balancing. It's not just being totally in these extremes of constantly ordering out 
we're constantly cooking at home. We can't touch something that's ordered out. You know, how do mm-hmm. we get to find a balance that works for the individual? And, and one thing I just want to tag along with that is that as a gastroenterologist, um, I, you know, I see a lot of patients who have maybe have celiac disease, have gluten intolerance issues, who have other kind of food restrictions. Um, so for celiac disease, it's not a fad diet. That's the only treatment for it. Um, but, you know, there are definitely other, other folks out there that um, we have seen disordered eating. So people that are um, either hyper-focused on eating healthy all the time, and that's a name for it. It's called orthorexia. And uh, these are people that are kind of obsessively checking labels, um, feel anxiety about going out because there may not be healthy food options, and it kind of disrupts their functioning. And then there is another uh, type of eating disorder that's called avoidant restrictive or ARFID. Um, And those are people that may not be concerned like an anorexic is about their body image. They're not, um, but they have restricted so many foods from their diet that they can suffer weight loss, malnutrition. So that's something that I actually do see in my clinic. Yes. And control is so tied up into food. Emotions are so tied up into food. Our body image, right? It can be nutrition and how we feed and nourish ourselves is, is complex, you know, and, mm-hmm. and to really give credit to it's a complex topic. And especially if it wasn't modeled correctly for us by a parent or a loved one or siblings or society, it can be this really challenging journey of what is our relationship to food as we, as we go through life. And that, and that also goes for healthcare professionals, right? So doctors, nurses, we, we don't learn enough about nutrition in, in medical school or nursing school. Um, so, you know, I, I love collaborating with uh, dietitians. I feel like that's really helpful and kind of, they're such an underrated resource, uh, but they're so well-versed in so many different things. Uh, and they're really well-tuned, I think, to kind of, you know, uncovering these eating disorders as well. Christina, thank you so much for being here and sharing all of your wisdom and knowledge, where can our listeners find more about you and stay connected and looped into all the information you share? So I'm on Instagram as lifestyle gastro MD and also on Twitter as Tennyson MD. And you can also find me on LinkedIn. Amazing. Thanks for being here. And thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about it. And I, I'm really an admirer of, of, the work that you do and um, all the workshops that you've done over the years. And I really appreciate um, you giving back to all of us so much. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to the Center in the City podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to rate and review the podcast. This helps us get this podcast into more people's ears and hearts, as well as share this episode with anybody in your community that you know is looking for more ways to practice staying centered amid their gut health. Join Christina and I on Instagram to continue the conversation. And until next time, stay centered.